Corinthians chapter 5 today. And uh, again, this is probably going to be part one of, of two because uh, um, I doubt that I'll get all the way through it today. There's a lot of material here to cover. The title today is Reconciliation. And uh, we're going to be picking it up in chapter 5, verse 11. And we'll read through chapter 6, verse 2, uh, but we'll probably only get through about four or five verses today in, in this passage. Let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer, okay? Lord Jesus, I thank you. Father, I thank you again for your love for us today, and I thank you for the message in the Bible that you give us that demonstrates Christ's love for us. And Lord, that calls us to obedience to you. Um, Lord, to be able to have the hope in the promises that you give. And Lord, to be able to live the life that you want us to live. And uh, to bring glory to yourself. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to understand your word more today. To increase in our knowledge about you. Um, Lord, to be able to live in obedience to it. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians 5, we'll start in verse 11. He says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. But Christ's love comp compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not, con not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So in verses 11 and 12, um, he, he says he, that he knows what it is to fear the Lord. Uh, Paul knew that his salvation and his eternal destiny were obtained, first of all, by hearing the message about Christ, 
then that leads to having faith in Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus Christ produces obedience. And there are several passages of Scripture um, that we're going to go to here that, that describe that. Um, but first of all, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, if we just go back to chapter 4, verse 18, he says, So we fix our eyes on what is seen, but not on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So the world's point of view, the world's perspective, <clears throat> is live your best life now. You know, live, live for today. Live for um, accomplishing as much as possible today to, to make a name for yourself and to, uh, you know, make, do something to be remembered by. And, and those things in themselves aren't necessarily bad until they become more important than living for Jesus Christ and until they come, you know, get to the point where their idolatry, as we were talking about in men's group on Thursday night, we can make an idol out of anything. Um, so anything that comes ahead of what is obedience to God's word uh, becomes idolatry in our lives. So in Romans ten seventeen, if you want to turn there, go back in your Bible just a little bit. Um, and if you have any questions or any comments, please feel free. Just stick your hand up or throw something at me. Uh, and say, hey, <laughs> hey uh, I, got a, I got a question or I got a comment. Romans ten seventeen says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And if we turn to Ephesians 2, uh -huh. Well, I think I think there's there's an important understanding that faith when you hear the message about Jesus Christ to to each individual that can be a, a different thing. And and the reason why I say that it, that's important is because when I have in the past as, as someone who says, I believe that the Bible's true and I believe in Jesus, I would lead people to Jesus Christ by saying, just say this prayer. Just put your trust in Jesus and invite him into your life. And that's all you have to do. Not giving any information about creation, about sin, about judgment. Um, that's to come and, and the, the full picture. So when you study the times when Paul gives... Uh, he gives the gospel message, and Stephen, you know, we read just recently about Stephen. He goes all the way back to creation, and he goes through the Old Testament. And he says, and Moses did this, and Abraham did this, and Isaiah, and, and so on. And he goes on and on right up to Jesus, and he says everything was pointing to Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he turns to, well, he's a little bolder than I am, he turns to the spiritual leaders in their day and he says and you put him on a cross and you executed him and so you know he goes on and he goes right on through this and of course they're they're ripping their clothes there and they take him out and they execute him for what he says but it's true and until we're really willing and paul describes this we're going to talk more about this in just a couple minutes he describes more about this he says you're crazy if you think I'm crazy, uh, that's <laughs> the way people who don't want to follow Christ or don't want to hear the truth, 
that's the way they're going to view you. So anyway, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. Well, you first, then you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Faith in faith? Yes. That's confusing. I don't know what you're saying. So, if you don't believe in faith, <laughs> right? Like, it, it, it's easy to believe in Jesus, right? It's not easy, yes. it's easy to believe in Jesus. Like you talk, but what if you don't have faith in faith? Like you just okay. Like, that's, you a good, that's a good faith. question. And I asked this question last week. How many people in the world have faith right. in something? Everybody has faith in something. You guys are all sitting on chairs because you have faith that that chair is going to hold you. Yep. Okay? I mean, we all have faith in something. We all have faith that we're going to go out and put the key in our car and turn the key and it's going to start. M- most of us. <laughs> My truck, maybe not. <laughs> so nobody, nobody re- rely on me for a ride home today. But, <laughs> you know, but we do have faith in things. We have faith that eventually the store shelves are going to be filled with baby formula again. Okay, even though they're not now, we have faith that somehow, some way or another, eventually it's going to happen. And so we all have faith in something, whether we're willing to admit it or not, that's a different point, that's a different story. But the reality is, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, is our actions show that we have faith in, in things, you know, and so that's why we do the things we do. So yes. Right. And, and then we become obedient because of what we are believing. Right. So the, the faith is always there no matter what is being preached. And we can preach to a bunch of unbelievers, and the faith is there. It never hurts for me to understand that. Yeah. I, I'm struggling to, I keep going over that. And yeah. I get it now that it is there, but whether or not they want to grab onto that and, and believe that, you know, just Right. And what you're describing is the parable of the soils. Exactly. So there's four people that all receive and hear the word, and they all say, yeah, I want that. I believe that that's true. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And then a difficult situation comes up in life, and they go, ooh, maybe not quite that much. And three of them back away and say, okay, you know what? Uh, I, I I can't live like that. I can't do that. And the fourth one continues and says, I'll do everything that you say regardless of what it feels like or what it appears to be like or, uh, you know, whatever trials may come as a result. So, uh, I, I, and I agree with that completely. <coughs> you, you hear the word, you, you have, you know, faith is what decides or determines. Your faith in Christ is what determines where, whether you say, yes, I'm going to obey it, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to live by it or not. And so I heard a pastor that used to say this often. He used to just say, time will tell. You know, and so, you know, you read through Paul's letters and and he describes how, um, what's the guy's name? It starts with a D. I forget his name. He he travels with Paul. He serves with Paul. And at the end, he says, he, Demas, thank you. And he gets to the end of his life and Paul says, Demas has left me. Why? Because he loved the world. You know, so Demas was one of the three in the parable of the soils where he went and walked with Jesus for a long time. And so Paul tells Timothy, he says, guard your life and your doctrine closely. And in doing that, you will save yourself and your hearers. And so he's, he's 
giving, giving him instruction on how to be disciples, um, how to connect with people and walk with people daily and, and just get into the word and encourage each other with the word to, to obey the different things that it says. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Right. And so that's that's a good point. So the the passages that I was going to go to, um, you know, did we read Romans ten seventeen? Yes. Well, okay. So the next one would be Ephesians two eight and nine, and this is an anywhere near all of the passages that that are on this subject. But Ephesians, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. You go ahead, Nico. Right, right. 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 Right, and, and I think what you're what you're describing is accurate. Having faith in Christ means that the grave is no longer final; it's a door into the, into eternal life. And so, what you do on this side of that door is the evidence of whether you have faith in Christ or you have faith in yourself to do everything that needs to be done. And so. Um, like I said, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, when we read this passage, he says, um, yes, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. <clears throat> it's the gift of God, not by works so that you can boast. But then if you go on and read verse 10, he says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you can't do anything to become more saved. So you can't be baptized and say, okay, now I'm saved because I'm baptized. You can't, you can't say, now I'm saved because I've given to the church. 
You can't say, now I'm saved because I've taken communion. God says, you get saved just because I'm God, and you don't deserve it, period. Jesus Christ loves you so much that it was decided that he was going to come to the earth. He was going to die for every person. And anyone who says, you're going to be my Lord, and you're going to make the decisions for me, and I'm going to do what you say, grace. Grace comes, obedience happens. So we are his workmanship created to do good works. And so now that I've made that decision, Lord, I'm going to love you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. What do you want me to do now? Then you open up the Bible and he says, Hebrews 10, 28, 29. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but come together and encourage one another. Don't continue in the sins that you used to live in. And I'm just summarizing here. You can go there and read this. And, it's, and it says, if you continue to sin the way that you always have before, there is no more. Uh, let me just read it. I'm going to butcher it up for you. <laughs> Turn to Hebrews 10 real quick. I have a question. Yes, sir. So, um, what do you mean by, by your works? What's that? By your works, you know what I mean by your works? So you can say it. <coughs> yeah, you can... I, I, Right, right. But by by works, they mean well, he, he got the money because he's a good one, right? Okay. He's giving you the money or whatever have you. Does do do you still um, get the grace card? So uh, what you're what you're describing, make sure let me make sure I'm understanding this correctly. Is in your old life, you acquired these things uh, immorally, well, it wrongfully. Okay. So when you feel like you give it to God, you know what I mean? You take it from falling into him. You know what I mean? Like you, he's in the streets, right? But he feel like as long as you do those works, he's safe. His wife is doing those things. His, 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 so when a person hears the message about Christ and you're saying somebody who's on the street, they're still living the same way that they always have, and they're saying, I have faith in Christ. And you hear the message about Christ, and, and that message says, stop doing this, turn for away from sin. The definition of repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. And he says, no thanks, I'm going to continue living this way, and I'm going to tell people that I'm doing it for the Lord. God says, mm, shh, don't speak. Don't tell them you're doing it for me because you're not. It's very much what you were saying in the beginning about Saul. Right. And um, Saul was told to, you know, continue like off the work as he went. And he did. He did, Lord. He did. Right. 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 So, so that's, that's an important question. Right, so, so we're going to read in a little while um, that, that God examines the heart and your motives for what you do. And so, you know, and I, I've, I've shared with everybody, I'm not sure if you've heard this story or not, but there was a time when I was coming into church and I was praying, I was playing music um, and singing. I was saying, Lord, I'm doing it for you. And I was going, let's take this dry, dull hymn, let's rock it a little bit. And I would really enjoy when somebody come up and say, man, that's a great job, Dave. You did awesome. You guys are, you guys are sounding good. I went, 
man, we did sound pretty good. God says, hmm, quiet. Don't, don't tell me and don't tell everybody else you're doing it for me when you're enjoying the pride, when you're enjoying the pat on the back for it. And so that, that was a tough lesson for me to learn. And it's hard for me to acknowledge that hymns are good. <laughs> right, Siri? Siri gives me, she gives me heck about that all the time. She's like, oh, you know, theologically hymns are good. You know, uh, there's a lot of, what's that? Yeah. So, you know, and, and we as Christians, even if we are genuinely his, we can fall into that trap if we're not careful. And, and I have, I'm the first one to admit, I got to watch that. And so when Paul tells this to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely, he's speaking to me as well. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, like we just read, it's, it's an accurate statement that it's by grace you're saved through faith in Jesus Christ, not anything you have done, but you, what you will do as a result of your faith is you will serve the Lord and, and you will look different than the world when you do it. And people will go, what's the matter with you? You're not the same guy you used to be. And so Thursday night we had a conversation and I asked the question, I said, if God's word says, Hebrews 10, 23 and 24, let us consider, I'm sorry, yeah, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Verse 26, one more, one more verse. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Those are lost people. And so what he's saying is if you're not looking at this and taking it seriously, I ask the question, if God says... Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And your boss says, I want you to work Sunday morning. Everybody in this room probably at some point has either been faced with that or will be faced with that question. <clears throat> and we can say, I'm going to obey the guy that signs my checks or I'm going to obey the guy who provides for the guy who signs my checks. And that in many cases means this guy's not going to sign your checks anymore. I got somebody else that's going to do it for you. And obedience in that, what we read in 2 Corinthians, obedience to that, Paul says, it makes me look a little crazy. Are you willing to look a little bit nutty for Jesus Christ? <laughs> and so, <laughs> and that's what he's asking, you know, back in first, or 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, um, let's see, in verse, three, verse 13, he says, if we're out of our mind... As some say, it is for God. So in other words, the purpose that Paul is doing the things that he's doing, think about it, we've, we've gone into Acts and we've read a couple of passages in there. Think about when Paul was in Ephesus, uh, I think it's in Acts chapter 19, and he says, I'd like to address the people in the crowd and his disciples going, Paul, if you go in there, they're going to kill you. Stay out. Why would Paul want to do that? It's because he is so convinced 
that what he knows about Jesus Christ is true, that his life doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they think. And so when he's in Lystra and Derby, he goes in he, and he's in there and he's preaching the gospel. And he's, he's talking to the religious leaders in the city and they beat him until they think he's dead. And they drag him outside the city and they throw him down. This means to me that they're looking at him. He's not breathing. You know, we, Monday night we saw a football player uh, that goes down on the field, you know, and he's what, out for nine minutes. How long do you think it took them to drag Paul from where he was at after they beat him till they thought he was dead out to the out of the city and before he was raised back to life again? How long do you think that was? It's probably pretty close. They didn't have a defibrillator. <laughs> you know, they drug him out there and his disciples gathered around him and they prayed for him. And what did he do? He, got, he went back into the city. How crazy is that? How many of you guys would go back to your, you know, if you were shot by somebody, how many of you would go back to the house where you were shot at? <laughs> Get up the next day. You wouldn't. But Paul is saying, it doesn't matter. I'm so convinced that what I'm teaching is true that my life is going to reflect that I'm convinced that it's true. And so, um, anyway, I know I, I kind of beat this up, but he repeatedly, Paul repeatedly teaches us in every city that he goes to. So as we learn and we increase in knowledge about the scripture, the question is, are we going to obey what it says? And I'm not, I haven't perfected this. I'm constantly learning new things. Uh, and I'm constantly being confronted with. And, and, and this is where all of you play a part in this. Because when we talk about things like this, and two, three weeks down the road, uh, I am confronted with a, with a difficult decision, and I choose the wrong way. It's up to you to say, ah, Dave, remember what the Bible says about this and people have done that and that's important that's what discipleship is is having people around you that are close enough and that are not afraid of damaging the relationship for the sake of the truth yes <laughs> yeah yeah I, I can't remember where it's at but I, I know what you're talking about Carrie did you, were you going to say something there you go. True what? A true friend loves at all times. And so First um, John 4, he describes, you know, that uh, no greater love that there is than a man laying down his life for his brother. Um, and oftentimes that means confronting that person with the truth and, and letting the chips fall where they may. Right. <laughs> right love love and attraction are very different from each other um, so love can be attractive and we can be attractive you know or attracted to uh, love but love is also doing exactly what you know what is right in the eyes of God so doing what is righteous so um, <clears throat> I'm going to I'm going to jump over a couple of these passages just for the sake of time, but I'll give you the references that you can go to. Uh, when, we, when we talk about faith producing obedience, Matthew 10, 28, 
I'm sorry, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is, this is the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and teach all nations uh, and make disciples. And he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so he's not telling them, teach them to believe, teach them to profess, teach them to have faith. He's saying, teach them to obey the things that I've told you to, that I've taught you. And so the evidence between the two have to correspond. And in 1 Peter 1.22, um, he says very similarly. Uh, we'll look at, take a look at that one real quick. Um, towards the back of your Bible, after Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1.22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply and from the heart. So this goes right along with what Terry was saying. Um, that genuine love cannot happen outside of knowing Christ. So agape love, the kind of love that Jesus has for us when he gave his life for us, cannot happen in our lives outside of being indwelt with Jesus Christ. And Peter writes, since you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, purification comes by reading the word of God and doing what it says. So when, when he says, be holy before I am holy, the only way that we can be holy is by knowing what he wants, and the only way we know what he wants is by studying the scripture and so 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 through 10, we've read this passage as well uh, on a few occasions. First Thessalonians chapter 1. That's a good question coming from the guy who's studying 1 Corinthians. <laughs> and so you can write this down. 1 Corinthians 7 addresses that very thing. Um, and so... <clears throat> right, so what does that tell you about the ones in the church? That there's a good possibility. And Paul warns that if people are living like the world, they should be treated... Not in a bad way. They, sh they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be um, mistreated, but you would treat them like someone that you were going to witness to. You treat them like an unbeliever. You love them. You share the gospel with them. You talk to them. You walk alongside of them, and you help them understand the truth. And so when you have two people that profess, I'm a Christian and, and my spouse is a Christian, and, and they get into it with each other, and they say, you know what, I can't live with that person anymore. The Bible, Paul asks us, how do you treat other believers? And if they're both, <coughs> no, other believers. If they're both genuine believers, they're going to look at that and say, you know what, my husband is my brother in Christ. And the husband's going to say, you know what, my wife is a sister in Christ. I'm not treating them right. And all of a sudden, what happens? You know what? If we treat each other the way the Lord wants us to treat each other, it kind of puts our disputes into perspective, and we need to get on our knees and repent. And the marriage is saved. 
But what he describes is when one wants to leave, if they're both Christians, he said if there's one that wants to leave, he says he really has to examine that and say, are, the, are they really mine? And that's not saying if there is a divorce or something like that that happens, that the person that left is lost because there are legitimate things in there. If the, if the lost person is looking at one who is saved and saying, you cannot go to church, you cannot read your Bible, you cannot do the things, then they are free from that relationship. Because what they'll do is they'll say, I need to obey God rather than man. And then that person will, that person will separate. And he gives, he gives the, the right for that to happen. And they're free from that relationship. So <clears throat> when you ask, 50% of professing evangelicals in churches, marriages end in divorce. What does that say about the teaching in the church about marriage? What does that say in the church about the teaching on Ephesians 5, 4 and 5? About how the husband is to love the wife in a sacrificial way, like Christ loved the church, that he's willing to die, that he's willing to lay his life down. He's willing to, to quit his job. He's willing to, and I don't mean quit his job and not work. I mean, okay, if the wife says, you know what, I need you home more often because you're gone five days a week. Well, because you asked the question. <laughs> not because it's not accusational in any way. But, you know, <clears throat> if the wife is saying, hey, I need help with these kids. I need you to be home at night. I need you to stop playing golf. I need you to stop playing basketball uh, two nights a week and this and that and, and doing these things. And the husband says, but I need my time. The husband's selfish. And I don't have any problem telling him that. I, you know, because I've had to, because I've had to own up to that myself. So, you know, th and that's an important question to have. Yeah. So do you think that you say that's how you're raised? And that's an important uh, uh, point to make as well. Was that right according to God's word? No. Exactly. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what Paul is addressing in 2 Corinthians. He's saying, watch out for the false teachers because they're going to take and try and undermine the truth by twisting what we say. And so that's an important aspect to understand. So you, we always have to be asking the questions and being like the Bereans in Acts who constantly had their Bibles open. They're listening to what Paul's saying and they're looking at the Old Testament scripture and they're going, is he right on this? And they're discussing among us and they're, and they're coming to him and saying, help us understand what you're teaching because this is what I understand about this. And they're asking questions and they're, and they're, they're not letting anything slip by uh, you know, and that kind of thing. So when you say, I can easily say I was raised this way too. You didn't question dad. My dad, he could pull start his waist faster than anybody. <laughs> you know, he, that belt, he, he was a big guy. You know, he wasn't like really, really big, but it, it was strange because I could be anywhere in my living room and he could reach me without getting up off the couch. <laughs> you know, so, 
So yeah, I mean, it would be easy for me to say, well, this is the way I was raised, so this is the way I'm going to discipline my children, this is the way I'm going to treat my wife, that kind of thing. God's Word says don't do it that way. Okay, I'm going to change. Right. Right. So many times the story is that people aren't coming into marriages in God's grace. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm not against those things that you're talking about, but but for me, guys' night out is men's Bible study. Mm-hmm. You know, it's breakfast together with a few of you guys uh, and to sit down and just talk about. It. If you have struggles, you know, sit down and talk with another guy that you know you can trust. Um, that's going to just open up the Bible and say, you know what, I'm not going to judge you, but this is what the Bible says about your situation, and I'll pray for you about that, and I'll and 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 do that and be genuine. Yes. Uh, I think you're missing the point of some in the question. Is that same story he's telling, right? And I and I asked you about that as a kid, and I mean, you can't give me away, or you get upset because I asked you. Yeah, I think that's where we like turn people away from understanding. Right. Like My relationship with my father is not where it's supposed to be. Exactly, because now I don't know why you're doing it. Right. You know what I mean? You just keep just doing it, so I'm going to grow up. Right. And I'm going to do it to somebody else. And they're going to ask me why, and I'm going to get upset, because I don't know why. You get what I mean? Right. I think the question there is where the problem is. Like, it ain't that they're twisting the word, because I think about it, like, what you say in the thing that the woman can be pregnant. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're twisting the word, they just don't understand what it means. Right. But the, so then, so then the question that, that what you're describing, the question that always has to come into play is, say you, you came to me with something and I, I want to look at you and say, don't ask me about that. The question that has to come into play in that relationship is, is what you're telling me coming from God's word or is it coming from your opinion? And if it's coming from God's word and I say no thanks, that's when Paul says, that you treat them like an unbeliever. You share the gospel with them. You love them. And if I say, stop telling me about Jesus, God says, wipe the dust off your feet and go on to the next one. And that's hard to do. That's, that's hard to do because you know what? That's I, I, Because I want to grab my son. I want to grab my family members and say, you know what? I want you to know about Jesus. And they say, shh. Leave me alone, or you won't be coming to Christmas. You won't see your grandkids. You won't be doing this. You won't be. Don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. And and they because they already know me. They already know my failures, and and I've had to repent with my family about different things and stuff like that. You know, and so you're asking very important questions. And Paul is saying, when the difficult questions come up and the difficult responses come up. What you do with that is going to show them, not, not what you say, but how you respond to those situations is going to show them, wow, he really means it. And so, Wayne, how long have you prayed for your son? Right. And so Wednesday night, I think it was, we were talking about perseverance. Don't give up. And if it means that my prayer is answered after I am dead and gone, 
live today for Christ so that they see a clear example. And I have to, <clears throat> I have to continually remind myself of that too. Um, so anyway, uh, I didn't get it nearly as far, but uh, one point I wanted to make. Speak that first <laughs> That's all right. So what, you, what you're describing, this is very important, and I wrote this down, and I had in mind some of the questions that some of you guys had Thursday night that Paul gives in this, in this passage in 2 Corinthians. Um, he says, The thought of one day standing before the Lord, his Savior, awed him, and it was the contemplation of that moment that moves Paul to fear the Lord. Okay? And the purpose of his ministry now is to persuade men to be reconciled to God. Now, this is this was I, I put this in bold letters so I wouldn't miss it. Based on the passages in that in Second Corinthians five, a Christian's message is intimately bound up with his life and ministry. The two are inseparable. So if I say one thing in here today and tomorrow I go out and do something different. Are you going to believe what I said? Or are you going to believe what you observed me doing? Are you going to be convinced that I believed what I taught? Or are you going to be convinced that I believed what I'm doing? <laughs> exactly. And that's what people in churches today are afraid to do. They're afraid to go to people and, and ruffle the, the feathers a little bit to talk to somebody and say, you know what? Why are, you, why are you doing this when you know the Bible says this? And it's just like what you said. The response can be, you know what? You're right. I need to repent. Or you know what? I don't want to hear about it. Just leave me alone because my circumstances you don't understand. I would say be thankful you're right. Because it'll, it'll Who tells you that? Yeah. Yeah. So, the, have you ever met a teacher that knows everything about the scripture that there is to know? Well, thank you for that compliment. No, no I'm just kidding. No, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna stop right there. We'll pick it up next week. I appreciate your comments and your questions. If you have questions, please feel free to stick around uh, and ask more questions about this. And uh, I don't. I'm not one who claims to have all the answers, um, but I, w I will gladly research uh, any questions that you do have and, and see if I can't come up with a, with a biblical answer. Um, because there have been people that come to me before in this class after I've taught something, and they'll come to me and say, but the Bible says this here. And I went, you know what, you're right. <laughs> and the next week, I've had to come in and say, well, I, I, I kind of missed misread this and uh, I apologize I repent of that and so but anyway thank you for your attention this morning God bless you guys